Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. This is Chet Gray. As always in studio, we have my co-host, Mike Ernoski. How are you, Mike? I am doing fantastic today. How's everybody doing? Hopefully everybody's blessed out there. And How you doing, Chet? We're doing great. Uh, we're hoping the summer comes to an end sooner than later, and I'm sure everybody is tired of the 105, 110-degree temperatures. Without further ado, we have a special guest, Zach May. Uh, Zach is an, a part of the Southern Arizona Quail Forever chapter, and uh, we know him through one of our board members who is on a broad statewide conservation group, Arizona Sportsmen's for Wildlife Conservation. Uh, Zach is one of the board of directors for that group, and uh, we know he's deeply involved in the Southern Arizona Quail Forever and with us having a good quail population and multiple different species, we wanted to have Zach on so that he could introduce himself and speak about uh, the hunting tactics, uh, conservation, and dive into a little bit about the, the differences and intricacies of our different uh, quail species. How are you, Zach? I'm doing great, Chet. Thanks for the introduction. We are very blessed to have you here. Um, I know you work hard on the Arizona Sportsman's for Wildlife. You were in charge of the grant committee. Um, they have awarded CHA numerous grants over the years, and we've been blessed to receive such grants in order to uh, keep getting outdoors and, and keep helping our wildlife. And I think our most recent one was for the water trailer last year that we're putting to good use. And as things are still heating up and some of the trick tanks and uh, game and fish tanks um, they're drying up and our desert species definitely need them we know i see quail and birds of, of all different species come to some of those that are accessible as long as they're not completely dried up but if you want to introduce yourself a little bit tell us about your uh, involvement with southern arizona quail forever and um, we'll go from there. We appreciate it. That sounds great, Chet. Uh, Southern Arizona Quail Forever is uh, one of two Quail Forever chapters in Arizona. Uh, the other chapter is uh, Valley of the Sun out of the Phoenix area. We are primarily um, out of Southern Arizona, but, but spread quite a bit uh, geographically. Uh, I'm uh, out of the northern part of Tucson. Uh, most of our members are more out of the Sonoida, Patagonia. Uh, area and the like. So we're spread out a, a fair amount. And uh, Quail Forever is a uh, basically a sister organization of Pheasants Forever. Uh, so tied together uh, that way from the national side. And one of the great parts about our organization is that all of the funding uh, we gather, uh, we use locally. Uh, none of it goes back to national. The only thing that goes back to national is uh, individual memberships out there. So the chapter's made up of uh, 200 plus people, um, and last count, uh, we have representatives from uh, 25 different states and two provinces. And uh, why is it spread so far? Because uh, Arizona quail hunting is so good, and uh, we get a lot of people that come down and snowbird, spend a lot of time down here, and uh, and do a fair amount of quail hunting at the time. We're, We're also able to get them out. A, a fair amount and help us uh, roll our sleeves up and actually do some work on um, habitat and all out there. So that's been uh, that's been really good for us uh, uh, over time uh, to get uh, a lot of people that uh, are willing to help out. Um, Arizona is a great state for quail. Uh, we actually have um, four native species uh, here in the state. Um, we have the uh, mass bobwhite 
quail, which is the one endangered quail in North America, uh, mostly down at the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge. And then we have um, Merns or Montezuma quail that are mostly uh, all in southern Arizona. There's a few up in the White Mountains, but they're spread pretty thin up there. And we have scaled or blue quail, uh, mostly in the southeast corner of the state, but there's a little bit uh, up in more the northeast side of the state too. And then the really widespread species that we have are uh, gambles quail. And those are the quail horses and, uh, in your neighborhoods, <clears throat> excuse me, and the like, uh, and uh, they're by far the most uh, uh, most common quail. We have a couple other species um, in the state that are not uh, native uh, as such. Uh, uh, we have uh, some California quail uh, that uh, were introduced uh, and on the very western edges of the state, and then we have some elegant quail that I haven't seen for years, but they're down kind of in the Douglas in the very southeast uh, corner of the state. But uh, uh, lots of great, uh, great opportunity uh, out there to uh, to find the birds. They they all have different requirements, and they tend to be in slightly different areas. But you'll get some areas that are mixed. That you'll get uh, all three of the huntable uh, species of uh, of quail um, out there. So. Uh, uh, you're educating me a lot. I only knew of the three species. I didn't know we even had the the subspecies of the Bob Whites or the other two that are non-native. That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, this is one of the best states in the country for quail hunting. There's no question uh, uh, at all about it. You know, you talked about water. Uh, water is very important uh, to uh, to the quail, um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, man-made water doesn't. Uh, do a lot for them all the time. They, they're really dependent on some rainfall. Uh, they have uh, several strategies to uh, to keep themselves going when the rains are poor, but when the rains are poor, you're not going to see uh, a lot of quail out there. Luckily, the different species uh, uh, thrive in uh, different types of, uh, of, uh, of rain or at different types of year. Uh, Gamble's quail, again, is the most common quail um, you find through most of the state except the very mass uh, sides of the, the state. Uh, generally, they're below 4,000 feet or so. Um, they, uh, they are very uh, much generalist and do really well in lots of different environments. Uh, they feed on the seeds and, uh, and small fruits of uh, forbs and shrubs and all out there. And they really depend on our winter uh, rains or winter participation, precipitation, uh, kind of October through March. Uh, they breed generally in the uh, May and June time frame, although with some of this uh, crazy drought that we're having, we've seen some much later uh, clutches, uh, but that's not uh, not real common uh, uh, out there. Uh, what's important is uh, when you get chicks on the ground, the bay chicks, uh, they need bugs to live on for the first couple of uh, uh, of weeks that's that's what really keeps them going uh, they're not ready to eat the stuff that an adult quail uh, is and so if you don't have some moisture uh, out in the environment uh, that creates the bugs uh, the chicks don't eat and then the chicks don't survive uh, gambles will uh, will do up to two or three clutches a year but they only do subsequent clutches if none of their chicks survive uh, you know they'll typically have uh, 12 to 15 uh, eggs is what they'll lay. And 
a good year, a good number of those uh, chicks will survive. Um, if just one of those chicks survive, uh, then that pair will not uh, uh, re-nest. Uh, but if they if they lose all their chicks, then they'll re-nest either a second or third time out there. Incredible. Uh, gambles are uh, lots of fun to hunt uh, because uh, they often get in very large cubbies in the uh, uh, later in the fall, and it's not uncommon. Uh, I'm not going to say it's real common, but it's not totally uncommon to see uh, uh, coveys of 100-plus birds uh, out there, and that's uh, really exciting to get into those kind of birds. Wow, and, you're, uh, that's like back in the 80s and 90s that I remember. That's incredible. You're, we're still getting those types of coveys, 100-plus birds. You know, uh, the last two years in, uh, in general have been very poor for uh, gambles, so we're not seeing those bigger coveys right now, but... Uh, Quail populations fluctually, fluctuate wild, and uh, so, you know, we get uh, um, a couple good years in a row of uh, yep. winter rain. The numbers that go way up. Fantastic. I will tell you, the last two years have not been good uh, good years for uh, uh, for our gambles. Uh, so yeah. we'll see what, uh, what we the get. The drought's uh, affecting all the animals, and I'm sure, I mean, people don't realize they always immediately go to your mind of the big game species, but it affects everything. I mean, like you said, the the chicks are eating the insects, and those insects have got to be on the ground, whether, you know, grasshoppers or I'm sure you can enlighten us on yep. all the little prey species that they're eating, but it, it can't be too fast. It can't be flying because they don't have their flight feathers yet, um, and it's got to have the precipitation in order to have the crops, in order to have the bugs eating the crops. Um, I mean, it's just catastrophic yep. down the – it all rolls downhill on whether we don't get rain or not. It, and it all goes together. You can have, you know, really good rain at the time the chicks come out. Uh, but if their habitat isn't good, if their cover isn't good so they can hide and evade predators and all, then, you know, they'll get, uh, um, we'll lose them that way. So, yeah, it takes a lot of things coming uh, together. Uh, if you talk to some of the game and fish biologists, uh, they'll tell you that there's one thing that quail do really well, and that's that they die. Uh, and uh, uh, in general, 80 percent of wow. uh, all die every year. Uh, so it, it takes a lot of quail uh, being born to uh, to keep those numbers going uh, out there. But they're they're great birds and they're uh, a lot of fun to watch and hunt. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about hunting here. Our organization is very much uh, centered around uh, habitat habitat protection. Um, we welcome non-hunters into our group. Uh, I would say it's only about uh, 10 to 20% of our group is uh, uh, pretty much pure habitat folks, but uh, um, we, we've got a lot of good folks from all, uh, all different uh, uh, interests in and what, uh, what they're doing out there. So It's all for uh, the common goal of, of keeping multiple generations of birds out there so that generations of us can continue to, to even witness them and or, and or hunt them. And you said yeah. the you have two provinces. I'm assuming from Canada and Arizona sees an influx of uh, Canadian winter visitors. They want to get out of shoveling snow and enjoy our our highs in the 50s and 60s. And very rarely does it get down below freezing here in Phoenix or Tucson. Um, I'm sure they if if they're avid hunters from uh, north of the U.S., then they come down here and and get to experience deer and or uh, waterfowl and all the coveys, those different species, like you said. So I'm glad that 
other countries have a vested interest in our in our cool little birds. No, nope, it's all uh, all really good. One of the things that uh, you'll realize about gambles is uh, uh, they love to talk a lot. Uh, so yeah, they uh, do. You can get out. <clears throat> Park your car, truck as you get out, and uh, the first thing you should always be doing is listening for them. Uh, and if uh, the, the cubbies have been broken up at all, they'll start uh, talking to each other, uh, getting folks back together, or just uh, saying good morning to each other. So you can uh, get an idea if there's, uh, if there's birds in the area. Uh, there's also some uh, calls you can, uh, sporting goods places that uh, are good gambles calls, and uh, you can start to get them talking by doing the, the call, and then you know whether it's worthwhile getting out there uh, hiking. No, In true. general, uh, quail hunting, um, uh, you know, it, it really varies. Uh, uh, I would say the bigger percentage of quail hunters use dogs. But not all. You can particularly hunt gambles uh, pretty well without uh, uh, without dogs. Where dogs really help with the gambles is making sure you recover every bird that uh, that you shoot. But they'll also help you find the birds. Uh, and uh, tactics I typically use on a fairly large covey is uh, uh, I don't always shoot on that initial covey rise, uh, but I'm just kind of watching the birds where they go and then go work to find. The, uh, the smaller groups, the singles and doubles, and then uh, work the dogs on them and, uh, and, uh, and get that to work. But, uh, everybody has a unique dog. You generally don't want to pass up any cubby rise uh, without uh, taking a shot. What but, kind of uh, dogs are you using? I have uh, a little different uh, than a lot of folks. Uh, my two dogs are Landers, which are a German pointing breed. Uh, I describe them to most people that don't know much about them as a, they're kind of like a Brittany with a tail. About the same size, uh, a lot of the same disposition as a, as a Brittany. I would say a little less hyper in general, uh, but they're great, uh, they're great dogs. I've also had uh, uh, Brittany's and I've had uh, uh, labs also. And you can hunt uh, quail here in Arizona with labs uh, with, without a problem. They, they are good dogs to go uh, can you repeat the your your species that cut out just briefly so everybody could hear it? It's a small Munsterlander. Munsterlander, and, okay. Yeah, Munster is a region in Germany. Like that's where the cheese comes from over there, and that's that particular dog. There's not not a lot of them in the United States, but there's a few thousand now. They're they're more common, and particularly in the Midwest. But uh, I bought both mine from a breeder in Missouri, uh, so that's where they came from. So I'm going to jump on to our next most common species, and uh, uh, that's going to be the scale quail, also called uh, uh, blue quail by some folks and the, and the like. They're mostly in the southeast portion of the state, around Wilcox and um, that general area and the like. Um, they are, uh, they, they have the little kind of a top knot on them like the gambles, uh, but they're uh, an all gray quail. You can't really tell the difference between the male and female with them. Um, they drive uh, uh, dogs crazy because they run like crazy. They run even more than uh, gambles. Uh, really? Uh, but they uh, also get in uh, very large cubbies. Uh, you know, I've seen 100 plus birds in, uh, in uh, their cubbies too. And often what you've got to do is uh, get the dogs out on them and, and start to break them up. And, and after they've run for a while, then they'll start holding for a while, but they, uh, uh, they're an interesting bird to go hunt. They tend to be in the uh, Chihuahuan de desert, vice the more typical Sonoran desert. It's more uh, pure grassland. Um, 
out there. Uh, you will see occasionally uh, areas with both scale and uh, uh, and gambles in them, uh, but uh, generally they have uh, one or the other. Um, they tend to breed a little later than gambles, um, so they'll they'll do a little later summer, um, and uh, they are uh, they're getting a little attention by Audubon and some of the other groups because their numbers are going down more than uh, our other two species of quail in the in the state, even though they're the second most populous of the of the groups. But uh, they're a ton of fun to hunt. They're not much different than gambles and how you hunt. Uh, they do make noise, but not as much noise. Um, you're not going to call them as uh, as easy as uh, as uh, gambles. Um, and uh, again, um, you know, any quail. Um, one of the tools I use is uh, is Rainlog, and Rainlog is a website that you can go on and look at uh, rainfall data. Uh, throughout the state. Uh, it's mostly private individuals that uh, put it in there, but, uh, you know, it's part of the research you want to do before going out uh, and uh, uh, looking at areas that have gotten really good rainfall and uh, they're more apt to have uh, uh, higher populations of birds out there. Not to backtrack, but um, I know everybody with internet, you can easily look them up, but could you give a little description on the coloration on both those species that we've covered the gambles and the um the scale or not the yeah the scale yeah sure the gamble uh, the gamble quail uh the male and female are uh, a fair amount different in color and all both have the big top knot on their head the male is going to have uh the reddish brown on it with uh, typically a black face and a fair amount of red in the wings on the wings um, where the female is going to be more grayish, it's still got a top knot. It's got a little color in it, but not not a lot of color uh, in it. Uh, when you go to the, the scale quail, um, they're going to be a pretty gray bird, uh, you know, both male and female. Um, you know, you can take uh, do a look at it that you uh, that you've bagged, and uh, it's still hard to figure out which one's a male and which one's a female uh, in that, uh, you know, somebody with a lot of experience can tell you the difference, but uh, uh, they, they are very uh, similar looking between them. So. And our, but, uh, our third species? Uh, we'll go on and uh, talk about uh, um, Mern's quail. Uh, they're also called Montezuma quail. Uh, actually, the species name is Montezuma. Um, and in New Mexico, the same quail we call uh, Mern's or are uh, called Montezuma over there. Uh, Merns are typically a subspecies of Montezuma, uh, but uh, for whatever reason, the two different uh, wildlife departments have uh, used different names in all the pubs uh, uh, for those. Uh, They're by far the, the smallest distribution of native quail in Arizona. Uh, they do not tend to be in the in our desert lands, uh, they tend to be in the uh, uh, grassland ha habitats around oak woodland at a little higher elevation in um, southern Arizona. Uh, they're an absolute beautiful bird. I, I, I even have trouble describing them sometimes. Uh, the head on particularly the male is uh, it's just got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of color and uh, and. Uh, uh, a little hard to de describe. The breast is uh, typically kind of a black and white uh, flecked area. They are absolute experts 
at just hiding out in grass. And uh, where the other two species we talked about are big runners, uh, these birds will hold very, very tight. These birds, uh, the merns, if you're hunting without a dog, it's going to be tough. Uh, the dogs make all the difference in the world um, finding the, uh, the merns quail. Matter of fact, the, the merns uh, breed a fair amount later than what two species do, what we call the desert, the desert birds. The uh, uh, merns breed in the September uh, time, maybe late August at times. They're almost totally dependent on our uh, monsoon rainfall. Uh, so there's years with good monsoon and not good winter rains and vice versa. So we tend to have one group of birds good one year and not so good the uh, other year. Um, these do not get in big cubbies. They have uh, uh, actually the, the hatches are, tend to be a little smaller than uh, than the other birds. They tend to be 10 to 10 to 12, where both the other birds will be 12 to 15 or um, or so, a little higher elevation. Uh, they like it around those oak, oak trees. They tend to be not in the flatlands a whole lot. You're going to get out and, and walk a fair amount and, and do some uh, some hiking. I will tell you, these birds bring people from all around the world. They're not a uh, they're not a common quail by any stretch. They're a lot of fun to hunt. Uh, I, I will tell you, in flatlands, and they do have some spots where they do okay in flatlands, they get hunted out pretty easy um, They because they don't tend to fly a, a long ways. And if you're really paying attention, uh, you can uh, uh, you can hit them again. Uh, when I hunt uh, merns, I rarely take more than one bird out of a cubby. Uh, sometimes I'll take two, but I, I just they're not big cubbies, and you just don't take a lot of birds uh, out of them. They feed off of uh, bulbs and tubers um, uh, in at the base of the tree. Often you can look under the trees, and if you see a lot of ground disturbance, uh, you can uh, tell they've been feeding in there. When you get a bird, they have uh, very long claws on them that are made for digging, uh, and uh, they stand out, uh, stand out really well. Uh, again, this is the bird that brings a lot of our folks from other states and uh, out of the country to come. Uh, uh, they just look so unique, too, compared, like, everybody knows what, well, not everybody, but a lot of people know what a Gambles looks like. It's the state bird for on uh, Game and Fish's logos, and um, it's not the Arizona state bird, but it's, it's on a lot of logos. Everybody sees it on stickers, and it's kind of synonymous with Arizona, but the Merns don't have a top knot. They have, like, you know, the, just a completely different checkerboard uh different completely different color coloration than than the gambles and they definitely invoke that curiosity and um awesomeness kind of i guess you could say well i i've been here uh, a little over 20 years now and have uh, hunted quail pretty much that whole time and i can remember early on after i'd only been three or four years i think i told somebody i've i've never seen a live merns on the ground uh, the only live ones I've ever seen are, are in the air flying after uh, after getting them up, uh, and then I've seen dead ones on the ground. Uh, but you know, over time I've gotten a little better at spotting them, but uh, they're still really hard to see, and you don't pick them up visually uh, like you do the birds. They're they're quiet. Uh, they do uh, they do have a very soft call, but it's it's hard to pick up. Uh, and uh, I will tell you, I expect a fairly decent MERN season this year based on uh, two years back-to-back -back of uh, 
of uh, good monsoon and uh, we have good habitat out there. The grasslands look good and the and like they're they're, they're all they're tall that's for sure it's hard it's hard to spot some animals it's hard to spot a lot yeah. of the the closer to the ground but it is good habitat for them it's good habitat for javelina and a lot of other species that rely on that cover um so, what, and again i go i go back to rain rain log i've got a couple areas that i fairly routinely look at and last year um uh, they were not not good, even though we'd gotten a good monsoon and all. And then uh, every year I go and help with the uh, uh, wing bee, uh, which is an event. Um, the the one thing different about Merns is Game and Fish puts wing barrels out, and they ask you to uh, take a wing, one wing off um, your birds, and uh, put in this wing barrel um, after your hunt. And then uh, all of those wings are at the end of the season. Uh, go to the game and fish uh, office and then we uh, uh, we sex all of the birds and age all of the birds so we get some good data on uh, uh, on how many young birds were taken how many older birds and what sexes and what areas that's great and uh, what i saw last spring is what we did the wing bee we were getting a lot of birds out of areas that weren't known as being big bird areas uh, so they had moved um some uh, and I think part of that is, uh, you know, people tend to go back to their same honey hole all the time and hunt. And uh, this is a bird that can be hunted out a little bit more than the uh, than the desert uh, birds. Uh, and there's really a lot less known about these birds uh, as far as uh, what makes them tick uh, compared to the compared to the desert uh, birds. So now we've done some some studies we've uh, helped out with a university down in mexico as far as uh, collecting crops of uh, the birds to see what they're feeding on and uh, and the like and uh, we have found that the birds are a little more of a generalist than we thought they were you know when the conditions aren't good they'll, they'll go eat some some other things and the and the like but uh, they're a they're a great great bird and uh, we put a lot of our effort uh, in in that particular species but then again that's the southern arizona quail bird our, our big project that we do as a as a chapter is uh, uh, down uh, along the mexican border uh, uh, just south of sierra vista um, you, you go over the uh, montpasta area and it's a great uh, oak woodlands with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of good grass, grasslands mixed in them. There is uh, generally building uh, rock dams, and uh, we, we put little dams in uh, that we hand build out of rocks that just slow the monsoon rains and um, uh, build up uh, soil uh, on the top side of the dam. And then we go in and, uh, and uh, plant quail-friendly food in there, too, uh, right before monsoon to, uh, to get some of that uh, uh, going and uh, so we've been working that project for six or seven years now, and uh, you know it's going to be a total of over twelve thousand acres, and we're only probably a little over a thousand acres into it. Uh, it's a lot of work uh, to do, but it's been a great, uh, great project, and we always see birds when we go down there, so that's that's good. So. That's great. So did I get that right? So you're kind of between Parker Canyon Lake and Coronado National Monument on that side, or yeah. are you going back to the east? No. 
uh, we're uh, uh, west of the Coronado National Monument, yeah, okay. uh, toward Parker Canyon Lake and all. But uh, uh, but yeah. most of you know you can see most of it as you're standing up on the Montezuma Pass looking down. Yep, yep, beautiful. Like With all those big rolling yeah. hills and all that grassland and looking out yeah. to the south and southwest. Yep, beautiful, beautiful country down there. Oh. It's all good, and we've been really successful. We've uh, worked grants with the National Forest Foundation um, and um, Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation. Uh, again, that that is an absolute great group. I know uh, 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 your group is part of that. Yep, yep. Uh, but, uh, it's uh, over 25 different wildlife uh, groups in Arizona that all team together, and we sell the uh, uh, the license plates through the state yep and seventeen dollars of uh, that license plate comes back to our group uh, which then we we divvy up to, to different groups to spend on either uh, 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 wildlife habitat projects um, youth projects new hunter recruitment uh, several things you know we've uh, as you said you got a water trailer from us here a little while ago we've done an awful lot of work with different groups on that the last few years because our, our ongoing drought has just really stressed wildlife and um, unfortunately man has had to step step in and uh, get some water out there to, to help a lot of the species so, yep exactly because i know we uh we did a partnership with arizona meal organization we actually uh, bought a second trailer joint trailer that's down there hauling and filling up water down there uh, part of the yeah. southeastern chapter of the Arizona Mule Dorg. Again, that's how we all kind of work to give back to conservation, and it does make a huge difference yeah. for sure. Well, you know, we've spent uh, um, our, our biggest effort is that project down along the border. Uh, we've also spent a fair amount of time at Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge uh, working with the endangered um, uh, quail down there. Um, and our, our other big thing that we do every year is a uh, – uh, what we call it is family day. Uh, we used to always call it our youth hunt, but we've kind of learned that not only do we need to get youth out hunting, we need to get uh, older people out that maybe got skipped one way or the other. And uh, um, uh, now I really push not only getting uh, uh, getting some of our young men out, but uh, get their, their sisters and moms out there too. Uh, and that's how we'll keep this going from... It's vital, from, yep. Critical. The, uh, the the North American model for wildlife conservation depends on uh, on uh, hunters and anglers uh, to support our wildlife over uh, over the years, and uh, we've got to get uh, enough people engaged to make sure that that uh, continues to work out. We don't want to turn uh, management all of our wildlife over uh, to legislatures and the states. Uh, we want to keep it within the uh, uh, the uh, game and fish departments uh, and do it all science-based and not uh, not based on uh, um, people's different political views on things. Sure. Yeah, we want that on on all species. I know it's a hotly contested argument on the, the predators and the bears and all those special interest groups that want to not allow any hunting. Um, hunters are some of the biggest conservationists in the world and we're the ones that put in the habitat restoration and our, our dollars are going to work where uh, we don't need to go down that that rabbit hole on getting into politics, but we do want it on science-based and we don't want special interest groups coming in and uh, pulling at people's heartstrings and not letting the, the data speak for itself and not letting our money speak. Uh, the, the hunters and the anglers 
and that type of money that gets put back into the conservation is, is where it makes an impact and not just uh, kind of the blowhards uh, speaking from a yeah. pedestal. On the, you were talking about the, the wing barrels. I've never heard of that. How Are they sexing the birds off those wings based on the coloration or their flight feathers? And then where are those barrels scattered during the season? I've never even seen one. There, there are seven wing barrels uh, out Um and uh, you can go on the Arizona Game and Fish website, or you can go on our website, which is uh, SA Southern Arizona uh, Quail Forever, all one word put together. Um, uh, and uh, let me give you the whole whole address here before I screw it up. Um, and we have the uh, where those barrels are located. The barrels go out like a day before the merge season opens, and they they come out the day after uh, it's. Uh, it's done. Um, and when does that season open? It um, it opens in December, so it opens a fair amount later than the than the desert quail uh, season. Um, and and again, our address is uh, sa quail forever all put together dot com. Um, and uh, you can go on our website. We have you know a few uh, how to hunt sort of uh, presentations in there. We have a lot of our our data from our meetings and uh, and other things, you know, how to take care of your dog equipment, you know, lots of different stuff that's uh, potentially answered or available there. Uh, and definitely the the location of the uh, quail wing barrels. Uh, I always have people calling me up from, you know, out of state or even in state wanting to know where to go hunt merns. I I always tell them go look at go look at where the where the quail barrels are. And uh, game and fish is not crazy. They don't put them in places that there's no birds. Yeah. So, so that's how that works. Awesome. Um, what other insight can you share with us on hunting them or what, what habitat are you looking for? If you're talking particularly myrn, uh, again, the big thing you're looking for is that mix of grasslands and oak trees. Um, you know, you'll find them a little occasionally with a little bit of pinion pine and the like, but that's not common. The, the big numbers are going to be uh, with the oak uh, oak trees. And uh, uh, again, uh, you're looking for decent decent cover. Uh, sometimes, if you get too much cover, it, it's tough for the birds because they have a tough time flying out of it. Uh, but uh, you, you'll normally have some open areas that they can run to and fly out of is, if they need to. But uh, um, nope. Uh, and, and with uh, merns, uh, particularly if you don't have a decent dog, uh, it's easy to uh, uh, it's easy to walk four or five feet past merns. They won't necessarily flush just because they picked you up, um, and you walk right by them and, and you never get them up without a dog and stuff. Uh, so. I know you're based Even, out of southern Arizona. Um, are there merns? We, we've seen them, but only like one at a time, never in a, and maybe we're just missing them, but it was out in the open in like the Payson area. And you're, there are scrub oaks. There's, you know, tons of ponderosa. I, I'm, and we couldn't believe we'd see, you know, at different times throughout the year, just one just sitting by itself out in the open, and it was real interesting. Um, I'm not as familiar with merns in the Payson uh, uh, area. I know there's merns up in the White Mountains, um, you know, up around Big Lake and some of the other places there. There's, um, but, but they're kind of few and far between up there. 
And one thing that we've we've worked to try to get some funding uh, uh, to do a study on is that we, we'd love to take and uh, and uh, capture some of those birds and then put some uh, trackers on them and figure out uh, how they're where are they moving to get away from the snow up there and like so how they, how do they survive the winter time. And honestly, that's not something that Game and Fish understands. We certainly don't understand it. Uh, so it's a it's a place where some. Yeah, we some wondered if they got lost or why why were they only seeing one and not hiding behind cover? It was just it it was healthy. I mean, it went away uh, the few times we've seen them, but it's always been one by itself and it, in different areas. I'm not saying it's the same bird, but it was. I think it was two different times at different times of the year and one lone burns just kind of on a dirt road by itself and it was it was interesting just to see one yeah. just out there in the middle of nowhere by itself yeah i can't i can't help you there <laughs> well any parting words for us zach i had one other question okay. i had Sorry. one other question so let's say we have some new um gamble quail hunters and so if if they're just going to go pick an area and just go drive down a dirt road or, or a mountain range what would be your advice uh, in order to look for and find habitats? Would they be looking for like the the washes, um, water holes, um, thick green ups? Um, is there particular things that they should look for um, if they're looking for gamble quail to go out and experience the great uh, bird shooting and hunting opportunities that we have as it relates to our gamble quail across the state? Well, I would say that the first thing I'd push them after would be the brushy washes uh, and then with water not too far away because um, quail can get all of their water from their food and need be in hard times. But no, they like they like real water if they can uh, get a hold of it. So often, um, you know, tanks uh, will hold birds around them and that's uh, really good. And then the other part of that is like I described before, listening for the calls and maybe even bringing the call with you to help uh, help find see if they're if they're going to answer the call but brushy washes and water is there i know like with elk hunting and turkey hunting they you know they could become you know call shies is there a situation where you can call too much as it relates to quail hunting no I'm, not that i'm aware of no i don't they're not they're not near as smart as elk are <laughs> that's cool is are the calls that you're referring to are they something else or is it specifically uh you know called like a quail call or a gambles call yeah they're they're quail calls okay and, you know, sportsman or one of the other places that they'll have those calls uh, are, are go online and, and get one. awesome well we hope everybody enjoyed this shed some light on our our three most well-known species it opened up my eyes on the the bob white that's endangered that i didn't even know existed here and um the two other non non-native species are those huntable because they're not native yes they're they're huntable okay uh, and they're both uh, considered desert quail uh when when you look at uh, uh all of the um, uh, arizona game and fish regs uh, it really talks about desert quail and merns quail uh, those are have different seasons but the desert quail or the gambles the scalies the california quail uh the, the elegant quail uh, they're kind of a yeah, I've never seen an elegant quail. I, I know, you know, the Game and Fish talks about them being down there. I, I've never seen them. So, uh, awesome. I, yeah. Mike, do you want to close us out? Uh, do uh, we want to give all your information one more time just for the listeners real quick, then I'll close us out? 
Um, so how can they get a hold of you or get involved with your organization, and what's the, the best way to start coming to some of your gatherings or, or meetings or your website and things like that? Well, again, our our website is uh, saquailforever, all spelled out, uh, .com, and there's a contact us link on there, and you can uh, do that if you want to reach out. We uh, we only have meetings. Our, our first meeting will be uh, November in Green Valley. Uh, and then we do monthly meetings uh, through March, and the rest of the meetings will be in Sonoida, Arizona. Great. So we, we move it to the two different places to get a wider, uh, a wider group. Uh, nice. And uh, our meetings are almost all educational forums. We spend very little time on, on chapter business. It's, uh, we normally have guest speakers coming in and uh, talk different subjects and, and the like. No, nope, that sounds good. And if anybody's never been to Southern Arizona, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. I mean, it's just it is so different than Northern Arizona, uh, metropolitan Phoenix. It's just the rolling grass hills and the acatillos and the oaks. I mean, it is truly amazing. Especially when you get to Sonoida. I mean, it reminds me of the Midwest. All the big rolling high grasslands, three four foot of high yellow grass and just rolling hills. I mean, it's so so beautiful down there. For sure. <clears throat> no, no, you know the the one thing I've learned in my twenty plus years here is that uh, Arizona is uh, probably one of the most diverse states in the country, and just an absolute beautiful place and a and a wonderful place to live. Yep, I'm with you absolutely. Then one of the things I told my wife to try to get her down there. I know Sonoida is one of the capitals of Arizona for the wine country, so I'm like, hey, I'll go down there and shoot some quail, and you can go and hit all the wineries, and it was a win win for for both of us. So. <laughs> Oh, all good stuff. All yep, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, we'll uh, close you out. Close us out. We always close out in prayer. So, Lord God, we just uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as conservationists, Lord, and, and people that, that love your creation of wildlife, Lord. And I just ask that you continue to bless our wildlife of quail across the state of Arizona and the southwest as it relates relates to moisture and, and food and all the things that go with it. And I also ask that you would uh, bless this amazing organization as they do the, the groundwork and, and the protection and the oversight to make sure that we have sustainable and enjoyable uh, opportunities of quail. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.